Ion 2020, episode 232. Have 2020 Vision with Ion 2020, your source for the news and events in the lead-up to the 2020 presidential election. I am Ray Eaton, and I will keep you up to date daily until November 2020 with a libertarian perspective on the candidates and their policies along with the news. Thank you for joining me. Now let's clear our vision. Okay, so all I got to say to you guys is this. Actually, I got a lot more to say to you guys than this, but I will definitely let you guys know one thing. So, what I noticed about the debates the other night, so I didn't get to watch the debates, but I actually listened to them the next day so that I could put together this show for you, since this is your Friday show. Debates for Wednesday, this is Friday, and I wanted to make sure that I at least put out some general thoughts on the debate because I sat there and listened to it in the car while I was driving around. I had it on, uh, I think it was YouTube or something, and I threw it on and I just listened to the debates while I was driving around. And I took a few notes by dictating some notes when I was listening and stuff, and I didn't get as thorough as I normally would with the debates, with like taking notes on the debate. I didn't get as thorough with figuring out which candidates did what. But I'm going to give you guys my broad overview of the debate since I have watched every single debate and I feel like I know these candidates pretty well but the thing that I noticed first off was this it was not on NBC which is the flagship station of the NBC brand they have MSNBC they have CNBC they have NBC they have NBC Sports they have all this stuff right and the debate ended up being on MSNBC who on earth watches MSNBC in the first place Nobody. So if it wasn't on the flagship station, NBC, then they realized that whatever dumb show that they decided to watch on, that have on NBC instead, like um, crime scene investigators or whatever the hell it would be, uh, whatever show that they decided to do, they were going to get way more revenue out of that than they would get out of the debate. So you might have had... How many people actually watch MSNBC anyway? So you might have had, like... 100,000 people watched the debate. It was probably news reporters and like really diehard supporters of Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders and whoever else, you know, the other people that were on the stage as well. But there's not a lot of diehard supporters of anybody except for Bernie Sanders, to be honest with you. So who actually watched the debates on MSNBC? Are you kidding me? Nobody. Nobody watched the debates. So you guys are all virgin ears right now to this debate episode, the debate. So I have you guys, I could craft your minds on what to think about this debate because nobody watched it. I didn't even watch it. I didn't have time to watch it. I had things going on in my personal life and my kid's birthday and all that that just made it impossible for me to watch it. So I didn't watch it, and I'm the guy that tortures myself watching all the debates. Five of them, or four of them previously, sorry, this was the fifth debate. So four of them, I tortured myself. I wanted to stab my eyes out. Well, you know what? I'm alive today, probably because I did not watch the debate. But I ended up listening to it in the car. I was listening to it in like two times speed. Took a couple of notes and things on what I saw. But the broad overview is this. Zero fireworks whatsoever. It was kind of like a, a love fest between Rachel Maddow, who was the 
person that was asking the questions. Like, Rachel Maddow, is she really going to challenge anybody on anything? Because she's in agreement with 100% of the things that are said on that stage. Yes, she's for Medicare for all, I'm sure. But she's okay with strengthening Medicare, or strengthening Obamacare. Is she really going to challenge them on anything with any substance at all? She's even for, like, foreign intervention wars, though. So she, so, so she might challenge them, the ones that are against foreign interventions and regime change. Like, she might challenge those people. She didn't. So you have Rachel Maddow, who is about as liberal as they come. She was the one that was asking the questions. So you're not going to have the challenge that you would from somebody like, I don't know, like, let's say this. Let's say uh, they decided to, let Fox News do one of these debates. The commentators might actually challenge these people on how are you going to pay for it. They might even challenge them on, is that something that can get done in America? Is that constitutional? I don't even know if Fox News would do that, but at least you would have a different leaning. But the CNNs, the MSNBCs, ABC... These companies that are doing the, these news agencies that are doing these debates, they're not going to challenge them because they all are in agreement that the state should have more power over everything. The, the federal government should be in control of all healthcare spending, single payer. The government should be in control of as much as they possibly can and six months or three months family leave and all this stuff. Like they're all on board with that stuff that the government can fix the problem just by passing a law. They're okay with that. They agree with that stuff. They all agree, hands down, that Donald Trump is guilty, so you could just assume that they're not going to challenge him on that stuff either. Like, it's just a huge love fest. It's the Democrat Party, put all they're doing, really, is putting out a propaganda piece with 10 people sitting on that stage making commentary about this and that and another thing. Who could be the furthest left? Who could be closer to the middle? Everybody's just, they're just trying to dictate the thoughts that people are going to have for the next four or five years. The more you talk about Medicare for all, the more likely it's going to become because the more likely people are going to hear it, they're going to start rationalizing it in their mind. You just floated the idea out there. You know, like, Four years ago, Bernie Sanders was floating the idea out there of Medicare for all. Hillary Clinton wasn't running on that. She was running on strengthening Obamacare. But Bernie Sanders has that out there, and now it's kind of out in the air. It's out in the open. It's fermenting. It's becoming a popular idea among Democrats. And that's their goal. They're try- I mean, that's really what the Democratic Party is doing through all these debates. But you know what? Nobody watched it. It was on MSNBC. It would be kind of like if CNN decided they were just going to put it on their website. They were going to have a YouTube debate. No one would watch it then either. But I guarantee you most people were tuned out. And the other reason why I say most people are tuned out on the debate, very specifically, is because I know for me, there's only so much news that I can take. There's only so much politics I can take. There's only so much that most people can take. And I can probably take a lot more than them because I'm the one that's doing a show about it. 
So I'm forcing myself to take in more than I'm willing to take in usually. I'm forcing myself to take in more news and political conversations and all this stuff. Like that's what I that's what I do. Before I started doing the show, I hardly ever paid attention to that stuff. I was on focused on libertarian issues and learning more about libertarianism and liberty and freedom. Learning about people like Murray Rothbard and Ludwig von Mises. Learning about Lysander Spooner, people that are the thinkers within the movement. The ones that have kind of came up with the ideas that lead the libertarian movement. Like that's, those are the things that I was focused in on. Watching videos, reading books, stuff like that. Then I said, well, what if I could do a libertarian spin on the 2020 election? That would be interesting. Thought about it, and I was like, yeah, man, let me just do a show on that. And then it just led to me having to be forced to watch debates and follow these candidates and just can't stand listening to them doing all the promises that they're making and everything. That's what I did. That's what I did. So I'm way more into it than, than most people are, right? I'm the one that has to force myself to listen to it constantly, but most people don't. So you have a debate on Wednesday night, but most people that would be even interested a little bit in politics, most likely they're following the impeachment proceedings. So they're a little bit of news that they're willing to do, willing to watch. The tiny bit of news that they're willing to watch. The 30 minutes, 15 minutes, hour, however long their threshold is, they probably dedicated it more to getting a general idea of the consensus for the day on the impeachment proceeding that was on Wednesday. And I think there was even a pre- impeachment proceeding going on during the debate. So they were doing some questioning. I believe they were doing it during the debates or in the lead up to the debate. So let's say you got home from work 5.30, 6 o'clock at night, grab some dinner, throw on the evening news, or you're scrolling through Facebook or Twitter or wherever you get your news from, you're looking online, and you find a little bit of information about the impeachment proceeding you're getting, you're letting them tell you what to think. You know, that's what I think the news is, is people telling you what to think. Now you just think it a lot of times. It's not facts and figures, it's opinion a lot of times. Me, I just want the facts, right? But So you're that person, you spend 15, 20 minutes figuring out what's going on with the world, and then you move on. Go do what you're going to do for the evening. Hang out with your kids, watch a little bit of TV, drink a couple of beers, go to bed. Maybe throw some sports on. Whatever. But you damn sure did not listen to the debate, if that's the case. Because it was on MSNBC, and the impeachment proceeding has your attention way more than a bunch of idiots on stage promising stuff that they can't afford to pay for. Or the country can't afford to pay for. Not they, because it's not them that has that money. When Andrew Yang says $1,000 a month to everybody, he's not saying it out of his pocket, my man. Absolutely not. He's saying it out of the taxpayer kitty, which is confiscated money from taxpayers. Whether they're rich, poor, in between, it's still confiscated money. So most people, that's what their focus was on, is probably if they're interested in news whatsoever, the impeachment proceeding and then maybe a few of them flipped on to msnbc but i me ooh. but then you start listening to the debate so in my car working 
threw on the debate, saw that it was on there, and I was like, okay, so let me go ahead and just listen to it. I put it on two times speed and just listen for a while. And the first thing I thought after after the whole thing was over, Cory Booker probably sounded like the most reasonable person up there, and so did Amy Klobuchar. Cory Booker and Amy Klobuchar. Cory Booker had the most... I, I wouldn't say the best night, but he had the most impressive night in the sense that he seemed like the most intelligent person on that stage. Now, Pete Buttigieg, very intelligent guy. I don't think that he won the night. He did good. He didn't hurt himself. He didn't let anyone attack him in a way that would bring him down in the polls. He seemed like he was an interesting, intelligent guy. But I've been saying it every single time, like whenever Cory Booker has a good performance, it's phenomenal. But no fire gets lit underneath this guy afterwards. Like you can, you got to blow on that fire to get it going. And he does a pretty good, a pretty good debate. Like he, he did pretty well and nothing, like nothing in the last four debates. And I, but my impression was that he had the best night overall. But will that correspond into votes? I don't know. Will that correspond in Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina? Uh, I'm, I'm not sure that it will. So, but he had like the best applause line of the night. He was talking about marijuana, and he thought it was crazy. He said, "I think that Joe Biden might have been high when he said that he wasn't for the legalization of marijuana." People applauded that. But the most important thing that he said is that. The marijuana, like the, the drug, the war on drugs is basically a fight against African-American youth. And it's almost, I mean, it's very true that, like, if you go to the inner cities and you see kids on the corner, possibly they have some dime bags sitting in their pockets, right? And they might be selling some marijuana. They might have be possession of marijuana. They might be smoking a little bit, a few joints here and there. It's possible. And he said that the rich, it's already legal for the rich because they get, they, they just, the cops just dump it out on them. Or they get out of it because they go to, they go to court and they have a good lawyer. But for the poor, it's an indictment. It's an indictment. It's something that puts them in prison for the rest of their lives. That dime bag's not going to put you in prison for the rest of your lives, but it gets you into the system. That's the first thing it does. It gets you into the system. And then you get onto probation. And when you're an inner city kid, it's harder on probation than it is for the rich kid that could stay at home and hang out. And then you're, I guarantee you, your probation officers are way more critical in the inner city than than they are in some rural town. So you got a probation officer that hates his job, that can't stand what he's doing. And that kid with a dime bag of weed that's on probation ends up violating probation, goes to jail... Spends six months in jail, and now he's a repeat offender. He gets out and does something else, and now he's three times a charm, man. Now you're in jail for life. I mean, I've seen it in the city of Ocala, Florida, where I used to live with one guy who, when he was 18 years old, got arrested. You look at, you could go in there into the database of the county jail and see his entire record. His first possession was a possession of weed. Second possession was, or second offense was violation of probation. Third offense was violation of probation again. Fourth offense, he's in prison for like 10 years. 
and it started off with a bag of weed. And then he didn't show up to work one day or something, and his co- his job called the probation officer or something like that. Like there was nothing. Like or he got pulled over by the cops, and he got a ticket. Like you can go. You get that's a violation of probation right there. So Cory Booker is right when he says that stuff. He really is. But that's the one thing that I think Cory Booker wins on every single time is criminal justice reform. And I like him for that. I wish there was able to, a way to shed light on that a little bit more. So that's a good thing. But the rest of it is just, yeah, I'm for paid rental leave. I'm for Medicare for all. I'm for this program and that program and more programs everywhere else. I could find a program. If you could show me a program that I don't like, you know, I'll probably fall for it if you, if you push it on me hard enough. Free everything. That's where Cory Booker is at. But yeah, that was like probably the most uh, compelling or the best applause line of the night, I guess, is when Cory Booker was talking about criminal justice reform and marijuana use and, you know, that Joe Biden must have been high when he said that he was against legalizing marijuana. Now, Joe Biden came back and said that he's for decriminalization and all that stuff. That's fine. I doubt Joe Biden's ever smoked a joint in his life. He's probably never even been around it before. That's most likely the case, if that's the way he feels about it. But yeah, so then the other one, the other thing that was a pretty good line for the night was, or good thing that I saw from a libertarian perspective for the night, was when uh, Tulsi Gabbard was going back and forth with Kamala Harris. So Kamala Harris says that she thinks it's terrible that we have somebody on stage that criticizes the Democratic Party, that spent four years under the Obama administration criticizing Barack Obama, and that we shouldn't have someone that's criticizing the party or criticizing party members, and she was referring to Tulsi Gabbard. And Tulsi Gabbard shot back and said, of course I'm going to speak up against the foreign interventions and the things that Barack Obama was doing and things that Trump is doing. I don't care if it's the party that's doing it. If it's wrong, it's wrong, and I'm here to represent the people. And that was a powerful statement because when you're part of the system, if you're part of the two parties, you're not allowed to criticize your party. That's what that, that's what everybody else on that stage is thinking. You don't criticize the Democrats. It's the Republicans that are bad, only the Republicans, and that's it. Same thing on the Republican side. It's not us. We're, you can't criticize us. We're good. They're bad. Democrat, bad. And that's it. Agree with us. Disagree with them. Choose your side. And Tulsi Gabbard had the audacity to call out different people from both parties on their foreign policies... And she got called out by Kamala Harris, and I think she won that argument by saying, I don't care if it's the party that's doing it. If it's wrong, it's wrong. I represent the people. So that's good that she said that. They tried to cut her off, but she got the message out there. And I wonder how that helped her in like the Google searches or if it's going to help her going forward. Hopefully it does. It, it inspires me to like her even a little bit more. Even though she's... You don't have to tell me this. I already know it, guys. She's a socialist in her... Lo- like in her Domestic policy, socialist, wants to spend as much money as she possibly can locally or, you know, domestically. But at least she's good on foreign policy. And 
I can't say that for every single one of those people on that stage. Bernie Sanders, on the other hand, he brought up a lot of the foreign policy stuff as well. He even called out Israel for the treatment of the Palestinians. I thought that was strong, absolutely, that he could stand up and say that on that stage. It might not help him with the Israel lobby, but who cares? So he was good on those foreign policy issues as well. He was talking about non-intervention and so forth. That's a good thing. So where is he different from Tulsi Gabbard? Not much, but we just don't like Bernie Sanders. So we're going to say we don't like him, but we don't like Tulsi Gabbard as libertarians on that domestic stuff either, guys. Most libertarians don't. But I will defend Bernie Sanders for standing up and saying, hey, man, you know, we need to fix the, what's going on in the Middle East. We need to stand up to, you know, stand up to the military-industrial complex. We need to get these people back home, to bring those soldiers home, and things of that nature. Like, you got to defend him on that. You really do. Even though he's a rabid socialist. Almost to be a communist, I would say. But we still got to stand up and say, when they're doing something right, we need to let them know that they're saying the right thing. Because that gets the word out there. So I agree with that. I really do. The least libertarian statement of the night. The least libertarian statement of the night. Ready? It was this. When Andrew Yang was talking about a specific issue. It was technology. And he said, we're being left behind by China. Who is investing as a nation. They are investing so much in technology. They're investing so much in AI. They're investing in this stuff, and we're not kept, we're getting left behind. He said that, and he, this is what he meant by that: is that China is a state that is investing all this money in this, and they're making the right decisions on what to on what to invest in. As a state, their their statist policy is the they're making the right investments. Whereas America, back in like 1995, he said we're 30 years behind, or 25 years behind in innovation. He said ever since America got rid of the Institute of or the U.S. Institute of Innovation or Technology or something like that, that as if and then he says as if technology there was no more new advances that need to be done, no new technology that need to be invented after 1995. So we got rid of it. And his assumption was that just because America, the United States government, has some sort of institute of technology or department of technology, that that is when technology stopped being advanced. So if you get rid of the state funding of that stuff, which the state funds plenty of technological advances, right? But he says if you don't have a department of, then it's not getting done. So the Department of Education being there, if you got rid of the Department of Education today, kids would stop being educated. That's the assumption that he's making. Just like if you get rid of the Department of Technology that he was talking about, no more technological advances. So he is for a centrally planned economy based upon saying that. And we knew this, but libertarians like the guy. Libertarians like him, but it's wrong 
It was the most, it was the least libertarian moment when you were basically advocating for the department of this and the department of that because if the state doesn't do it, if the state doesn't have a department of it, then it doesn't get done. And he was saying, he basically said that. And it's just, it's not understanding free markets. Capital goes to the places where it's going to be best invested. The state, when the state invests in that stuff, it's not going to the right places. China might be investing all kinds of money into AI. It might be investing all kinds of money into technological advances. But is it the right technology? Is it something that's going to be used? Is it something that's going to better the people? Maybe they might win here and there. But most likely it's going to be like that computer that the French, I think like back in the 80s, the French government gave everybody a computer. Everybody gets a free computer and there's no advance in that computer. It was given to you and that's it. I can't remember the exact term of it. But, oh, and think about like the Soviet Union centrally planned economy developing a car. They developed one car. It was the biggest piece of crap in the entire world ever made. People still make fun of it to this day over there. Because when the state's doing it, they do it and it's done. And that's it. There's no new advances that happen. So if the government of China is investing in technology, most likely, yeah, they might get a win here and a win there. But it's better left to the free markets to advance that stuff. Look what we have now. The iPhone, the smartphone, it came from America. There was no, the the smartphone did not take off until Apple came out with it and then the android and then so forth but the android that's a google product android operating system that's the technology that we have we don't need a department of technology to innovate you don't need that but that's what andrew yang said so it shows where his true colors are at but otherwise guys but on this debate there was not a lot of fighting back and forth. There was no real clear moment where somebody had a decisive victory. Nothing. The pundits, they were saying the same thing. Like, there was every... The thing that they did was they all tried to stay safe. They tried to remain safe, maintain the status quo. There was a few people that tried to go after after other people. I think Amy Klobuchar came off as very, very centrist. She did say something that was very libertarian. She actually, believe it or not, this is a note that I took actually. Um, she brought up the national debt. What? The deficit. What? Are you kidding me? I was like, in a democratic debate, somebody has the audacity, the nerves, the balls to talk about the national debt? And then she says, I'm not going to come up with some some ideas. Yet She says, yes, I'd love to staple a diploma to everyone's seat, and I'd love to give everyone a free car, but if we can't pay for it, we can't pay for it. The national debt's too high. And I was like, are you kidding me? Did you just say that? I stopped, I pushed stop on the on the radio that I was listening to it on. I pushed stop. I started taking notes. I was like, are you kidding me? Did she just say that? And no, nobody else on the stage challenged her on that, though. No way. 
absolutely not. They would not do that. She said, on my website, I have everything paid for. I show you how it's going to be paid for and da-da-da-da-da. But she says, I'm not going to just promise the world because we can't afford it. The national debt's too high. The deficit's too high. She could win on that issue, guys. If she was the person that was going to be the fiscal conservative on that stage, she could talk about giving people this and giving people that. But if her idea was to get up there and talk about fiscal responsibility as a Democrat, whoa, would she start to turn in the polls a little bit? I think so, because she'd be able to bring over some of those Republicans that are just frustrated with the fact that Donald Trump has a trillion dollar deficit. But yeah, that was the that was one of the standout moments of the debate as well. So hey, I appreciate you listening to the show. I do. Sorry that I'm late on doing this. Like I said the other day, I have a son birthday. I had some stuff that was going on personally on Thursday as well. I had to get to bed early. I could not do it, but hopefully this satisfies your debate show needs. And uh, I look forward to talking to you guys on Monday some more about things that are going on, maybe with the impeachment trial and things things like that. I believe the impeachment proceedings are over at this point. I don't think they're going to have any... I don't think they're be calling other people up to the stands to testify, so you'll start seeing maybe a, a vote soon in the House of Representatives, and then they'll send it over to the Senate. And that'll be interesting to see how the trial goes, because a lot of the stuff that they were talking about are, is hearsay. If you listen to the Republicans, they would say that there was no real smoking gun. If you listen to the Democrats, it was just a bombshell testimonies every single day. Somebody said it best, a reasonable person can look at the facts, look at the statements. A reasonable person can do that and take away two different things. And I take away two different things on that. My feeling is, is that Donald Trump was leading leading people in, or trying to have some sort of quid pro quo. That's my feeling. It's most likely true. But there's nobody that's standing up and saying, yes, that's true. One guy said there was a quid pro quo specifically for a meeting with Donald Trump and a phone call with Donald Trump. But he didn't say that Donald Trump said it to him. He said it. That's I put two and two together. And that's how I came up with the idea that most likely it, there is a quid pro quo and that he understood it to be that way. But then we confronted Donald Trump about it. Donald Trump said no quid pro quo. But you got to remember when he when Donald Trump said no quid pro quo, he knew that the House of Representatives was starting to catch on to this stuff, and he knew that there was going to be an investigation. So maybe he was just covering his butt, covering his you know covering his ass. That could be the case. Who knows? But we'll see more. You know, over the weekend, you'll we'll be able. To, I'll be able to listen to different commentators and stuff and see what they're saying. I like to get both sides of the story. I like to see what the MSNBC types are saying. I like to see what the Fox News people are saying. I like to kind of merge my own my own opinion based upon those things. And also I look at the facts. I actually listen to the proceedings to see what people are saying and get my own judgment as well. Can't stand news stations that people listen to to get their, to form opinions or have them form their opinions for them. But yeah, that's what we'll talk about probably next week. Who knows? Maybe there'll be some bombshell stuff coming out of the Libertarian Party soon. Who knows? That would be nice, right? Because I'd rather talk about Libertarian 2020 politics than anything else at this point. But we'll see. Anyway, guys, enjoy your weekend. Have a great 
weekend, okay? Come on back on Monday. You can do that by subscribing to the show. If it's your first time listening, you can also give me a five-star rating and review if this is your first time listening. Uh, I love five-star ratings, and I love reviews, so hook me up, all right? And then uh, if you want to, you can email me. Iamtheempire.com is the website. So Ray at Iamtheempire.com is my email, and Iamtheempire.com is the website. You can also look at Facebook and on Twitter. But the most important thing, come on back on Monday, and you'll have clear vision for 2020.